Well, it's really good to be with you. Thank you, thank you for your welcome. Uh, this evening I want us to look at uh, this passage in Nehemiah. So it's Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. While you're finding that, can I just say, bringing you the greetings of uh, Emmanuel Church in, uh, in Leftwich. And uh, we have something in common, I think. Uh, we have uh, Beck Mannering in common. Beck is a member of ours and she's serving in uh, North Africa. And we are very grateful to you as a fellowship. I believe she visited you uh, during her time back here. She's still with us, um, hoping for some kind of uh, uh, medical treatment before she returns home. So if you could remember that in your prayers, but it's great to have that fellowship in mission together. Uh, So we do appreciate that very much. So Nehemiah chapter 8, chronologically, if we're going to read the Bible chronologically, Nehemiah would come at the end of the Old Testament. It's the the last history really before we come to the the Gospels 400 years later. And uh, This book is all about Nehemiah being called uh, back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. But um, it's not just about that. The walls have already been built by the time we come to chapter 8. And really the emphasis now is on rebuilding the people who have come back from exile, been in this situation about 100 years, um, and they're desperately in need of God's uh, God's help and God's word. And this chapter is, is amazing. So let's read it together. Chapter 8, just verses 1 to 12. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maseah. And on his left were Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Hashbadanah, Zechariah, and Meshalem. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites 
Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akab, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Maseah, Kelita, Azariah, Jozabad, Hanan, and Peliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest, and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Amen. Last June was Glastonbury, the biggest musical festival in the world, apparently. 138,000 people gathering around various stages to see different bands uh, perform. Uh, One band brought a special guest onto the pyramid stage. Uh, He was a rapper called Kevin Abstract. There's a name. Kevin Abstract, Texas-born musician, bounded onto the stage full of energy and then promptly forgot all his words. Now, if you are a rapper and you forget your words, there is nowhere to hide on the pyramid stage. Now, Nehemiah here is describing a festival. This is a festival. The wall has been completed in 52 days. Folk who'd been camping in the city went back to their villages and towns outside Jerusalem. But on the first day of the seventh month, something extraordinary happens. The people gather together in this square before the water gates. There in verse 1. And what seems to be happening here is the combining of two things. The Feast of Trumpets, which was prescribed in the law. The Feast of Trumpets. And another thing, the reading of the law, prescribed in Deuteronomy chapter 31. And a special stage has been erected. Not the pyramid stage, but a special stage. For this purpose, a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Verse 4. 
and a special guest has been invited onto the stage. It's Ezra, the teacher of the law. Ezra, the scribe, he's known as. This is the first time he appears, really, in the book. But Ezra doesn't forget his words. He doesn't forget his lines. Why? Well, because he's reading from the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. There's no music as far as we are aware. There are no real celebrities. There's no dancing. How boring. But not so. It's not boring at all. The event ends with great rejoicing. Rejoicing. Clearly, this is not an ordinary episode. Something extraordinary is happening here. God is at work and he's working through his word in the lives of the people. Now, what can we learn from this? Why should we turn to a passage like this? Well, let me remind you of what Paul said in Romans chapter 15. Everything that was written in the past, he's talking about the Old Testament, was written to teach us. So this passage here has got something to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. This passage, therefore, can give us hope and encouragement. That's why it's there. I think God is teaching us here what what he can do by his spirit through his word among his people. So what can we learn? Number one, I want you to notice they're hungry to hear. The people are hungry to hear. Verses one to three, notice Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. That's probably children of, of, a, of, of an age of understanding. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon. Imagine that. As he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who, who could understand. All the people listened attentively to the book of the law. So this large crowd, we're not sure how many are there. Thousands probably of people. They come together as one, we're told. And they are hungry for God's word. They listen to it being read for up to six hours. Men, women and young people. And they all listen attentively. And they're willingly. There's not been a kind of three-line whip here. There's not been this pressure put upon them. This seems to be a spontaneous gathering to hear God's word. And that's what they want. They actually tell Ezra, they told Ezra, bring out the book of the law which the Lord has commanded for Israel. Now when you... When you hear that phrase, book of the law, I wonder what you think of. Book of the law. Is it a list of laws? A bit like what we find in in Leviticus, for example. And I think it's more than that. I think it's much more than that. The book of the law may well have been a reference to to Deuteronomy. It It may also have had other aspects to it as well. 
And in the book of Deuteronomy, you've got, you've got narrative. You've got sermons from Moses. You've got the history of Israel coming out of Egypt and the wilderness wanderings. You've even got a song to be taught. <laughs> so it's, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of variety here. This is, this is not just kind of the reading of Levitical laws. This is the book of the law. God's dealings with his people. They hadn't had opportunity to hear this book probably, well, for decades, maybe for a century. They hadn't had opportunity. It's great to hear that prayer by Bernie earlier on. We've got, we've got God's word in our hands. They didn't have God's word in their hands. <laughs> So this is an opportunity for them to hear it. And they are hungry. I was, uh, I was struck by uh, looking at the SGA website. Mark will be pleased about that. The SGA website. And it's a picture here taken from the 1970s or 80s, I think, in Romania. This is where the ministry of SGA kind of took off, really. This is a secret gathering, I think, in a forest in Romania of, of people who are hungry to be trained in the word of God under the, under the oppression of communism. And they're willing to go to a, to a forest and be taught from God's word so that they can then go on to, to teach others. Isn't that great? Or I recall a few years ago meeting uh, a, a couple of ladies who were from the Eastern Bloc country. They grew up, I'm not quite sure which country it was, but they told me th- they were in a house meeting and they had one Bible among them and the KGB came and invaded the house and they had the opportunity to hide the Bible in a, in a loaf of bread which was being cooked and they shoved it in the oven and they just waited for the KGB while they searched the house, hoping they wouldn't check in the oven. And then they went out and they rescued it from, the, from burning. Can you imagine that? Hungry, hungry for God's word. They realized they didn't live by bread alone, but they live by God's word. They're hungry. Are you hungry are you hungry for God? Are you hungry for God? I think that's a good question to ask. And, and I think the, the next thing to say is, if you're hungry for God, we ought to be hungry for his word because it's through his word that we come to, to know him. It's through his word that he speaks to us. And we have this greater privilege than those people there in that square All those years ago, we have a greater privilege than them. We have the documents of the New Testament. We have the Gospels, the portrayal of Jesus, the Christ, and and the letters and instructions of his apostles. We have the message of the New Covenant, don't we? What a great privilege we have. And the Bible is no ordinary book central to worship and to praising God. Uh, Remember what Paul says to to Timothy, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Devote yourself to this 
word, he says. Devote yourself to it. It's part of our Christian worship. Someone has said, you know, God has two books, the book of creation, which is, I guess is like a symphony, the book of creation. We can look into God's creation and we hear the music and it can move us. But we also have the book of God's word, which is like an audio book. It is speaking to us in words. And we have the privilege of hearing it. So this passage calls us to be hungry, hungry for God's word. Secondly, they're not only hungry to hear, they are praising with fear. Notice that? They are praising with fear. Verses 4 to 6. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. I noticed a couple of features there. The reverence that there is for God's word. The reverence. The people stood up to hear it. There's a mark of fear, a mark of reverence, respect. I mentioned that uh, for a few years we were caring for an international church in, in Torino, in Italy. And we used to have lots of people visiting us from different parts of the world. Lots of um, people from Nigeria and, Ga- and Ghana, for, it, for example. Um, one gentleman came. He was from the Nigerian Air Force. And he came in his uniform, like, like these men. Very distinguished character. And uh, I met him, chatted with him. And then one Sunday I said, would you like to read from God's word? Read God's word for us during the service. Certainly, he said. And we were in a room about this size. He came down to the front in his uniform. And he says in a deep voice, we are about to read the word of God. Let us stand to hear it. (laughs) And everybody stood up. It was interesting because there was a man who knew about authority. He knew about authority, but he was recognizing the authority of God's word. Let's stand to hear it. And notice the response to God's word. When they hear it, they lifted their hands and responded, Amen. Amen. They are engaged, aren't they, in the hearing of God's word. They bowed down and they worshipped the Lord. They're not worshipping the Bible. They're not worshipping the word. But God's word is leading them to respond in worship to him. The truth of what they're hearing. And that, of course, is the work of God's spirit. Holy Spirit is working in their hearts. I can remember as a boy being down in South Wales, uh, visiting my grandparents. It was around Easter time and there was an Easter service. And I can remember being in one of the old Welsh chapel up in the gallery. And the preacher was preaching on this great Easter theme of resurrection and new bodies and the hope of eternal life in, in a new creation. 
and there was a woman there. Can remember this old woman? She'd obviously had a stroke. She was disfigured. Her face was disfigured and her body was disfigured. She's listening to this message and out of her cracked mouth, she's crying, Amen! Amen! She's saying. She is engaged, you see. It's moving her to worship. So may it be with us. As we hear God's word, may God's spirit move us to to reverent praise. And that's why as, as local churches, we need to be praying, don't we? We need to be praying for God's Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth to move among us as we meet together for worship. The writer of the Hebrews, after explaining the glories of the new covenant through Jesus, listen to what he says. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. That is a new covenant message about worship. Reverence and awe. That's why it's great, isn't it, to, to, as we gather in our churches to devote significant time to hearing God's word and considering it, hearing God's voice. And we do that out of conviction, not out of custom. So they're praising God with fear praising with fear as well as hungry to hear. Thirdly, notice that they're making it clear. They're making it clear. Verses 7 to 8, the Levites, 13 names. I won't read them out again. And I'm glad, I bet you're glad I didn't ask some of, one of you to read it as well. But these Levites, they're named... They instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear. Isn't that great? Making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Now, it's uncertain exactly what that phrase means in verse 8, making it clear. It could mean translating. That might be in your... Um, your footnote, if you've got the NIV, translating. And, and the, the thought there is that these people generally uh, are used to speaking Aramaic and the book of the law is in Hebrew, so they're, they're not quite sure exactly. It could be that. The root word means breaking it up. So they're breaking it up into small pieces, if you like, the book of the law, and then they're They're taking section by section and they're applying it. They're they're explaining it to the people. And the, the aim of all this is that they understand what is being read. So although the Holy Spirit enlightens, the the Holy Spirit can open up people's hearts and minds, that does not mean that there's no responsibility for the teacher or the preacher or the Sunday school teacher or the home group leader, whatever it is, to work hard 
to work hard at explaining God's word. And our greatest example, I guess, is the Lord Jesus himself, isn't it? When you think of the Sermon on the Mount, just take, think of the Sermon on the Mount, just, just that sermon. You see Jesus using all kinds of analogies, all kinds of pictures, a splinter in your eye, fruit trees, good and bad, a light in a house, salt, losing its saltiness. Building a house on sand or rock. Jesus is using pictures all the time because he wants people to understand what the truth he's saying. In, in fact, someone has said, you can, te- you can see the pattern in Jesus' teaching. He states something, he illustrates it, and then he applies it. The Lord Jesus is our great teacher. And that is hard work. It's hard work for the preacher or the teacher today. It doesn't just happen. Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And he tells uh, Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season. And And that's the task in the church, isn't it? To do that. That's how churches are built. That's how the church is built up. God gives the growth. But the word is to be preached. Prayerfully and carefully. And I don't know, I I, I guess it's the pattern you have here in this church. In our church we do. We tend to take a book and we work through We'll go through. We've just finished Nehemiah. And we work, it, we work through it, the book. And that's done deliberately. It's amazing, isn't it? How week by week, when you do something like that, the lessons that come out of the passage are relevant. Relevant perhaps for you as a church. Relevant for your lives. Relevant. Sometimes... It, it works like that, doesn't it? You, you come into church and it's on, I don't know, you're going through Galatians or something like that and there's a verse there. You say, well, that was just for me this morning. God was speaking to me. Why? Because it's a living and active word of God, isn't it? They make it clear. That's what we must do. Encourage you if you're a Sunday school teacher, work at it. Make it clear. Or a home group leader, Bible study group, whatever it is, work at it. Like these Levites. Make it clear. And then the last point, they're hungry to hear. Um, they, They praise with fear. They They're making it clear. I was trying to get the last point to rhyme. And if I'm going to make it rhyme, it would be this. They're celebrating with beer. (laughs) But it's not quite quite true. I've got to remain faithful to the text, okay? 
They're celebrating with joy. I think we can definitely say that. But there is food and drink involved. Sweet drinks, we're told. Verses 9 to 12. All the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy. Because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Verse 12. That is remarkable. The gathering ends with a joyful celebration. But initially, it hadn't been like that. The people had started to weep. Why did they start to weep? They're hearing God's word. They're hearing the history of their nation. And how time after time, Israel had turned away from the Lord and failed him. And gone off to worship other gods. And been disobedient and said, Oh, if only we were back in Egypt. All those kind of things they've been listening to. And they begin to weep. They begin to see as a nation they've sinned against this holy and gracious God. And they weep. Now weeping is not inappropriate for us sometimes. To weep over our sin. That'll come in chapter 9. But here on this occasion... Ezra and Nehemiah recognize this is not a day for weeping. This is a day for rejoicing. Look what they say. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send some to those who have nothing prepared. Verse 10. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, that, it's interesting, that phrase, the joy of the Lord of your strength. The word strength there means your protection, your castle walls, if you like. The joy of the Lord is your, the walls of your castle will protect you. It'll help you in this life. Now, what was the cause of their rejoicing? Was it the food and the drink and just the kind of bonhomie? great to be together no verse 12 they now understood the words that had been made known to them they now understood what did they understand well I want to suggest to you they understood the good news that despite all their rebellion despite all their waywardness their unfaithfulness to the Lord their God he had been faithful to them That he was a God who was gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. And they had come to understand that and experience it. The Lord had brought them back out of exile. The Lord had raised up Nehemiah to help them. The Lord had helped them build the walls despite the opposition. The Lord had done great things for them, whereof they were glad. He had not forsaken them. They're celebrating with great joy. Uh, A few months ago, I was at the theater. We went to watch Les Mis. And um, I hadn't seen it before. You know, live in a in a theatre, 
And it came to the point where the famous song, I Dreamed a Dream, was sung by Fantine. You know the words? I dreamed a dream in time gone by when hope was high and life worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving. Then I was young and unafraid, and dreams were made and used and wasted. There was no ransom to be paid, no song unsung, no wine untasted. And as I'm listening to the song, it was a great song, brilliantly sung, the music, I'm conscious that people around me are crying, beginning to weep. The, the music and the words are moving them emotionally. Now, why the weeping? I thought, why? why? I, was, I was moved as well. Why do we weep? Well, it's a song about broken dreams, isn't it? It's a song about a broken world. And the music and the atmosphere and the, and the lyrics kind of impact you. And it's not just about Fantine. It's suddenly about you and me. We live in a world of broken dreams and broken hearts. But here's the message. The gospel of Jesus can bring us hope and healing. Paul reminds the Colossian believers in his letter. He talks about the gospel bearing fruit all over the world and also among you, he says, since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Isn't that a great (laughs) description of how you are converted. You have truly understood God's grace. God's grace to you through Jesus. Have you understood it? We have good news to rejoice over. Good news. In the new covenant, we have it so much clearer. The great day of atonement has happened. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed once and for all. There is the forgiveness of sins proclaimed to us. Jesus Christ is our saviour. Our great Nehemiah has come. And the understanding of this can bring great joy as the Spirit enlightens our hearts and our minds. And it means like that unlike Fantine's song, a ransom has been paid. A ransom has been paid. God is forgiving. Life is worth living. And there is a love that never dies. God calls us to rejoice greatly. He calls us to rejoice greatly. 
and to share this joy. As these people were sent away to share this joy with others. Share it. Oh yes, we know that there is sorrow. We know that there is suffering. We know that there is sadness in this world. But the joy of the Lord is your strength. Against those things, the joy that the Lord can give you is like your castle wall against the the sadness and the disappointment so that you're not crushed by them. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So no wonder Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. And Paul prays for the church in Ephesus to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. They celebrate with joy. Well, may that be true for us. And may God bless his word to us. Amen.